Mentally Unscripted, Episode 34, Fake Gurus, Bruce Lee Quotes, and the End of Society as We Know It. All right, welcome back to another episode of Mentally Unscripted, your favorite podcast to listen to regular people talk about complex ideas, come up with some new ways of thinking about them. As always, I'm joined with Scott. Scott, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you? Can't complain. It's a beautiful day in Montana. Nothing nothing wrong with that. Is there ever not a beautiful day in Montana? No. No. Now, I have a new saying for Montana. It's if you're bored in Montana, you're boring. Okay. That's just the way I see it anymore. I, I love this place. I love the natural beauty. I love the fact there's only a million people in this massive state, and it's just amazing. I say that with all sincerity. I absolutely love this. Oh, that's great. Uh, joining us today, we have two, for the first time ever, we have recurring guests on the Mentally Inscripted podcast. And I would I would do the, the clap thing that people do where they snap their fingers now or clap whatever. I'm not going to do that. I'm not, I'm not that, I don't know, that person. But I, we, have, we have Robert and we have Wiz that have both been on the show and we're super excited to have them back. Guys, how are you today? Doing well. Great. Good to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us. Absolutely. We enjoyed both the conversation we have with both you guys, different topics but just excellent conversations. These are two of the people that we met on Twitter in the Twitter space. And we enjoyed the conversation. We got on a thread offline and we said, you know, let's have another conversation. Let's have the first one that we have with all four of us on. What should we talk about? The theme instantly came up that we should talk about gurus and actually more importantly, the fake guru. I'm not sure who actually mentioned that, but it's very appropriate given that the space that we're constantly in in Twitter is the money or self-improvement Twitter space. It's a perfect topic for us to discuss where we find these gurus, where the bad ones are, how to find them, maybe our experience with some of these gurus. Maybe we paid them a lot of money that ripped us off. I don't know. So (laughs) I want to start with a conversation about gurus and this concept of guru. Hey, Robert, I'm going to kick it off to you. When you think about guru, how did you start with finding your first guru on Twitter or anywhere else? Who was it? What was your experience with it? You know, I don't remember who the first one was. And I'm going to stay away from naming many names on here today just for liability. <laughs> liability, okay. I'll just, talk, just speak a little bit more in general. If I recall, it was maybe about a year before I actually started tweeting myself. I'm not a guru, but I tweet in, you know, in the self-improvement arena, partly. So it's about a year before that. So I started in January of this year. So I would say sometime early last year, I started to notice that sphere of Twitter. And I started to notice some of the really helpful tendencies in that arena. And then as I stuck around a little bit more, I started to notice some of the negative tendencies. And as I went along, I got better at weeding out the good from the bad. So I think I have a pretty good idea of how to navigate that space now. And I've changed my own approach as I've gone on. I've tried to avoid some of the things that I think are negative about that part of Twitter and about social media in general. And I've tried to constantly improve my approach to give my audience, such as it is, a better experience. Like anything, you have to jump in there and and experience it for yourself in order to really know what it is. It's hard to explain to somebody, for instance, who hasn't used Twitter before. Oh, there are these guys on Twitter who give (laughs) advice and and they have these cool names and they have pictures of statues in their profiles. (laughs) It just sounds ridiculous when you explain it that way, but it's true. And they all compare themselves to Greek gods. 
Right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Now, Wiz, what about you? What's your initial experience with gurus? Oh, man. Well, I think going back, I've read a lot of, I, I guess early on, I kind of took the belief that if you want to learn how to do something, read someone that knows how to do it. And I think at, at some point, I kind of made that transition to there are these authors who basically, they don't necessarily know how to do the particular thing, but they at least purport to know you know, how to improve generally. And so I started reading these guys and a lot of them are really good. And I mean, I think that each thing I've read, there were, there certainly were nuggets and they weren't always what they claimed to be, but I think there's bits and pieces to pick up along the way. In terms of guru from a negative connotation, I think that there are folks that sell courses that I've bought and I I regret buying because they're $25 course for something that's really very much common sense. And And I hate to say it, but that's been within the past two years that I've bought some courses like that. So anyway, that was my initial experience with a quote unquote guru, somebody that claims to be an expert, but at the end of the day, they're really not. Overhyping their expertise and experience. Yep. That sounds about right. Scott, what about you? I'm a little bit older than you guys. So my guru days go back to before the internet. <laughs> Pre-internet, like that. I actually went to the library and like checked out books by some folks. I was always a fan of Jim Rohn. He's a business guru type guy. I consider him a legitimate. As far as Twitter goes, the first handful I ran into, there was maybe only one that I still follow. The rest of them, being as cynical as I am, they just rubbed me the wrong way pretty much <laughs> from the get-go. I just started wondering, if you guys are so great at all this stuff, what are you doing spending all your time on Twitter? Thank you. Thank you. Yep. Robert, I did see that you tweeted something about that a, a few days ago, so I didn't mean to steal your thunder there. <laughs> Not at all. My thinking was always, if you've got such a great plan for making thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars, what the heck are you doing on Twitter selling 999 eBooks? How come you're not out there doing it? And I just saw the attitudes from some of them. Some of them definitely seem very holier than now. They didn't seem to want to interact with people very much. Honestly, I got turned off from that pretty quickly as far as like the guru thing goes. Yeah. So it's, it's funny. We all, we all have these negative experiences with gurus. I, I would say if I, if I think specifically to Twitter, I'm going I'm to call out a name here uh, because you'll never know about me. Naval is is kind of an interesting one. And, and one I still really, I really enjoy his account. I enjoy hearing what he has to say. I've listened to a lot of interviews offline. And I think the first time I heard him share his ideas and the way that he crafted his message on Twitter, it really sounded very profound. And it also really resonated with me because it filled sort of this gap I had in either my understanding or sort of, it's almost like there's an itch and you want to scratch it in a specific area. And this person says it in a way that is so illuminating that you feel like you've scratched it. And so now they have a bit of a hook. And so the next time they say something, it sort of resonates. And Naval's different than perhaps what we would consider the rest of the gurus that we sort of mentioned, the people that are selling courses. For those who aren't familiar with Naval, he's a technologist, sits in Silicon Valley. He is the CEO and co-founder of AngelList, which is a online platform for investing as an angel investor in companies. So it's really for accredited investors. That's his background. In some ways, when we talk about, and I think we'll get to that, sort of this idea of what is and isn't a guru, he does have the experience. He does have a successful exit of different companies. He really does have experience. That said, I think in the guru space, and I want to explore this with you guys, there's this idea of expanding outside your circle of competence to start giving advice and for people to hear what you're saying as advice 
beyond those areas where perhaps you do have experience and you have something to offer. Asking him for nutritional advice because you see that he has a good lifestyle rather than the fact that he's really good at building certain types of technology companies. Maybe that's what he's really good at and everything else he's not great at. I don't know. But that was kind of my first on Twitter, at least being around the gurus. And I think there's other accounts that I've found since then that kind of dispense with generational wisdom, put into a bite-sized capsule on Twitter. And then you get to the next area, which is the people that are trying to sell stuff. They're trying to sell their marketing plan. Maybe they're selling their health plan. Maybe they're, they're selling something else. I think like you guys said, you become cynical, whatever they're sharing, you you begin to have a little bit of a resistance to it. And then at some point, if they had value, you don't see it anymore. You just start <laughs> stop following them, right? I'm going to say it's a sham. I'm going to push back on this idea that all these gurus are shams and they're, they're not worth listening to because I think there's something valuable to hearing knowledge and experience put into the guru formula in some way, shape, or form. I'll ask you, I mean, do you guys think that all gurus are shams? I'll go first, I guess. No. And in fact, I'm glad you said this because at one point was going to say it as well, not just to cover my own rear end because (laughs) I do sell sell certain things as well. But just to say that, no, there are plenty of people who offer real value. Just because you're selling something doesn't mean you're a fraud. And just because you're giving advice doesn't mean you're a fraud either. I think it goes much deeper than that. So no, absolutely not. There's plenty of value that I've gotten from a lot of people on social media, but I think there are things you have to watch out for. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. There's a lot of value out there. We had Joey the Cypreneur was on on episode 27. He's one that I think offers value. I think what separates them is why they're in it. Joey, when we talked to him, he was in it because he was really interested in what he was doing. And he had spent years, obviously, I don't know, Robert and Wiz, if you guys have followed him for very long, but Paul and I have been following him for a couple of years now, I think. And he started off not selling a service. He just was going out there tweeting and interacting with people. And then over time, he built it up. To me, that seems like it's a good faith place that he's in because he was doing it before he was making any money off of it. But there are these other people that they go out there and they've got 100 followers. They're tweeting 50 times a day and they've got a $50 how to grow your Twitter following guide that they're pitching. Those are the folks that I look out for. Then there's the just the, the high level, like Paul, you were saying, Naval Ravikant. That guy's got a track record. He's not out there trying to sell you any program or anything. He's just giving you the wisdom that he's learned from his years of being an investor. And the thing about him is you can go out and you can find him all over the place. I mean, he's all over YouTube. He's on podcasts all the time. So he's someone that you can really look into and get an idea of what he's all about. That top level and then like that mid-level, like the folks like Joey like, that I'm talking about, those are the ones that have the credibility to fill into that space and will give you something of value. It's the ones on the lower level who seem like they're just out there to sell. Those are the ones that I'm always leery of. Yeah, I agree, Scott. I, Joey's great. He's one of my favorites that I follow too. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, it just comes down to their their motivation. It's interesting because it's, it's not that hard to see if you follow and engage with individuals' content for a while. Is this person genuinely trying to help or are they just in it for the money? And I think like Robert said, it, it's certainly nothing wrong. And I'm working on my own projects as well. Certainly nothing wrong with trying to make money while you're doing this. You're basically you have a service that's truly helpful 
And I think that compensation for that is fine. Yeah, I, I think it's just a matter of just watching what they do, watching how they interact. And I, someone had mentioned an individual that doesn't engage at all, in my mind, clearly is not that interested in helping people. That's a good metric for that, I think. Right. And I know there's one account that I'm thinking of that I think since I first noticed him maybe a year ago, I think he's changed his product four times. And that's it's also a big red flag to me. No. So, you know, are the these, first time are these it was upgrades. Are these product? No, upgrades it was <laughs> no. It was you know, first time it was retire in five years by doing this, and then the next time it was you know, make millions a year in passive income doing that. I wonder about people like that. Right. But yeah, apparently it's working for them. I guess I don't. <laughs> I, I don't interact. Are you guys familiar with Coffeezilla on YouTube? No. No. Okay. Oh wow. All right. It is. Guru takedown porn. It is a an account dedicated to finding the gurus and exposing them for what they are. I watched a few of these. I haven't seen one recently, but uh, he he does a lot of work. The whole idea is that he's an investigator and he's finding all the the clues, like a PI back in the day. And it's it's kind of funny, but it, it made me think. We're we're talking about this idea of having something to sell, and that there's the the big gurus that you hear about. And I'll use names like Grant Cardone, Ty Lopez, I think is another name that gets thrown out there. I'm not familiar with their products. I I feel like back in the day, I may have seen some of their advertisements and they talk about these amazing dreams that you can achieve. So it's it's well beyond anything that you're going to see in the Twitter space. Because I feel like Twitter is like a microcosm. And a lot of these people, maybe they're going to give the same claim that, you know, retirement five years on this $25 PDF. But most of the stuff that they're talking about is of the same thing. Have a your yacht, create this new lifestyle. And I recall Ty Lopez being in his garage of all places. And the whole thing was stacked with books next to his Lamborghini. And I thought that is just straight bizarre. No one reads in their garage next to their car, but maybe, I don't know. maybe this garage. guy does. I don't know. Right? <laughs> I don't know. If I had a Lamborghini, I might sit next to it and read. Okay. <laughs> all right. You know, he he goes through this and he talks about that. And, and it's, it's interesting that there's almost like this guru Ponzi scheme where they're able to bring people in. Some Maybe some of them have some success, but like overwhelming people don't have any success at all, but they keep on selling this dream. It makes me think like, will this ever go away? Is there ever going to be a lack of desire for gurus? Because fundamentally people want to improve, right? Right. Yeah. They're, all of them are selling selling something you don't have another. I mean, you have to sell something people don't have or they're not going to buy it by definition. So you're either selling them on an image or something they don't have in terms of a physical product or something they don't have mentally or emotionally, confidence, security, things of that nature. And as I said, it's not necessarily bad to sell people those things. But there are ways to do it that are more genuine than others. The idea, going back to what you said before, the idea of having a track record is one of the things that's absolutely essential, even for people who operate anonymously or with pseudonyms. I think it's still possible to display the fact that you have credibility, even when you use a pseudonym, to be able to give a sense that behind that account, you are a real person who has done real things. I can usually tell that pretty quickly, as opposed to somebody who's running a kind of Potemkin village account where it's, you know, a sage, but you can, you can't really make out a real person behind that account it's just it, it's it's too can yeah it's too bot like yeah i feel like it's it's always going to be a ripe area for savvy marketers to take advantage because you're right. There's always going to be a gap there of you know, where I am, sort of Hell Island, wanting to go to Heaven Village. There's always going to be that gap. And so the savvy marketer doesn't necessarily need to come up with something of value. 
they can sell enough of the dream, the, enough of the hope. And that's a problem right there in the sense that it's it's an evergreen space. Humans are always going to want to improve, but it also means you got to raise your guard. Otherwise, you can be selling or buying rather, buying just a, you know, a fake product. I think there's an audience that you know those types appeal to as well and, and it, you know it's it's the type that are are looking for someone to tell them what to do i think paul going back to your question i, I don't think it's ever going to go away i think it's i think like for us in this call i mean we're we're pretty discerning i think and it's but you know but there are others that aren't i think it'll always be a gap that needs filling right i think there are people out there that are going to latch on to outsized claims and jump on it obviously watch late night tv or anything these folks have always been around and there's always been marketers out there who are willing to take advantage of them and it's moved on to the internet now that kind of predatory behavior i think is in, is inherent in marketing itself and the art of advertising. Some of the first things you learn in marketing, copywriting, and advertising is how to get people's attention. And that's usually by ditching nuance right out of the gate. I mean, you you, you sell, you create an image, you stop them from thinking. In essence, you're hypnotizing them, you're creating a shock, a trance, and then you immediately launch into a picture, a visualization of what they could be or what they could have. This is true of everything from deodorant to oatmeal, to a course on growing your Twitter. It's all like that in terms of the basic marketing. Some people don't think beyond that, though. We're able to sit here and say, yeah, we know advertising is mostly nonsense, but we're entertained by it and we get drawn in and we find good product because we do have a sense of discernment. And like Wiz says, there are some people who just all they care about is that click and the product that lies beyond that click, simply because they clicked on it, it's going to be a good product them. That gap is huge. And there's, there are always going to be unscrupulous people operating in that gap. Where I start to get uneasy is when I see people who are creating a problem and then trying to sell you a solution, or I should say creating a problem and convincing you you have a problem that you don't really have, and then trying to sell you a solution to it. Back in the dark ages when I was in marketing, my marketing class, I had a professor who said, if you want to get rich, just figure out what pisses you off and fix it because chances are other people are pissed off by the same thing and they're going to be willing to pay you for it. But what I've seen happening with pharmaceuticals is a perfect example where they'll develop a drug that does something. They will create a condition that that drug is supposed to treat and then advertise the drug. And I see that on Twitter. People who are definitely savvy marketers, they do that. They will convince you that you have a problem that you don't really have and then charge you 50 bucks to tell you how you're going to fix it. That's where I really start to get uneasy is when I see that. When it's something that I can look at and say, yeah, I mean, I can see why a lot of people would find this being a problem. Help with copywriting or more persuasive writing. I'm trying to think of some of the recent things that I've seen on Twitter. Right, Those are, I think, legitimate things. But someone who is telling you that you're never going to get laid and you're, no girl's going to ever want you if you don't have 10% body fat, so give me 50 bucks for my PDF. That That's the type of thing that I start to get very uneasy out. And it didn't work for me, so I'm still upset with my purchase. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> you're identifying, I think, some of the clues and things that people can be looking into. But it, it, it is hard, right? Uh, the, the cult of copywriting is an interesting one in the self-improvement space because I follow a lot of these accounts and there's a few that are the anti-guru mindset. So they're, they're highlighting all of the 
tactics used by the most aggressive marketers to buy or influence you, but you're buying things that materially don't improve your life. And so to me, I'm almost thinking, is that really the measure that I would use in my head? Because it's possible that you're not aware of a problem and then you become aware of a problem and then you actually want to solve that problem. And if you actually want to solve that problem and it materially improved your life, and now you can say afterwards, I can never imagine not being this way, then you could argue that there's some value there and how it was sold and what was t- talked about and the, the influencing wasn't wasn't totally in vain. It's quite opposite when it's like, oh, you've got this problem. Here's a solution and the solution is sucky. The problem, I don't really care about it. Why am I even trying to solve for something that I just doesn't even really bother me. I feel like I was compelled to buy it. So I did it. Now I'm wondering what the heck I did with my 50 bucks. I could have spent it at Applebee's. I could have got double appetizers. I don't know. Do you guys think about that at all? Like, I mean, when you're thinking about the problem that's being solved there, does that matter at all for the guruism or is it just experience? Wiz, I'm going to start with you. What do you think? Yeah. Well, I think, so just to make sure I understand, so are you saying that the simple fact that they're highlighting the problem, is that more of the... Well, I, I guess so. There's certain problems that are just being solved by the fake gurus that are just, maybe that's a sign or is it more of the fact of the way that they go about the problem. Well, I mean, I think they, I think they certainly identify it, but more than that, I think they blow it up and they make it maybe even to into a bigger thing than it really is. And I think that you know, going back to the the body fat example or anything like that, they leverage that and they have an audience that's listening to them and, and follows them, and and so and they keep repeating the same message over and over, and ultimately, you know, that's gonna that's gonna get into your subconscious and say, well, maybe this is a problem. You know, maybe this is something that I I do need to solve before I move into this next level. But I was just thinking about something earlier too. I I think a lot of these guys they frame it up where it's always an easy solution or it's something that's very turnkey. To me, that's a sign because I, I don't know about you guys, but like pretty much anything I've ever achieved of any noteworthy value in my life has taken a hell of a lot of work. <laughs> so if you're looking for a sign, there's there's your sign. That's a good point. Get ripped without working out or dieting. Yep. That's right. 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 For me, one of the really interesting things about the guru space, at least its manifestation on Twitter anyway, is the different ways that they approach sales and marketing to their audiences versus someone in another sphere. I noticed that, for instance, it's very common for Twitter gurus to insult their audience as a way to induce them to buy some, which is something that would not work in other realms. Like if you could imagine watching a a car commercial where the car manufacturer says, you're a loser. And in order to not be a loser, buy this car. And then the commercial ends. No one would act on that. And yet on Twitter, you see this very commonly where it's, you know, you're a loser working a nine to five job. You need to create a passive income, blah, 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 blah. Click here for my course. And the entire dynamic of the relationship between guru and audience is based on that contempt and that insult. But this helps them to kind of weed out who's not loyal to them and their following, you know, because the people who don't like that are just going to unfollow. The people who hear that are going to assume it's directed at somebody else, not them. Oh, he's referring to the other followers who are losers, not me. So I'm going to stick around and see what he has to say. And all that does is create more of a cult around this guru figure. Yeah. Do you think they do that deliberately? Do you think they do that to try to weed out the... Absolutely. Absolutely. One of the best ways to cement loyalty among 
among a mass group of people is to periodically say something crazy because the people who aren't loyal will be forced to leave and the weak-minded people will be forced to agree with you even if they think it's crazy. I, I, I don't know. That, that sounds straight out of Himmler. I don't, I'm, not, I'm just going to put that out there. <laughs> That's words in mind, baby. That's words in mind. Well, that's a great insight. And that reminds me, um, one of Cialdini's six principles of persuasion is consistency. When you get somebody who is already following you and making comments on your tweets and retweeting you, then when you do something that is maybe pushing the line a little bit, or they come up with a product and try to sell it, people, they want to be seen as being consistent. So those folks will oftentimes bite on that. I think that's what you're trying to say is that they're trying to exploit that feeling of consistency or that desire to be consistent. Hey folks, I wanted to jump in here and say a quick thank you. We've had a lot of new listeners come on board in the last couple of months and we're happy to see our numbers growing. And we know you have a lot of options and how your time and Paul and I are grateful that you're choosing to spend it with us. And it has us highly motivated to keep bringing you new episodes and improving the quality of our content. But we have a small favor to ask of you. If you like the show, please share it and please go out to your podcast player of choice and like, follow, subscribe, or whatever. That way, our new episodes will automatically show up in your feed, and then we'll get more attention from the podcast gods. Thank you, and back to the show. I think they're just, they're trying to create an in-group, too. Without a following that feels like they're a part of something, they're not going to buy your stuff. This is something that separates the really good bad guru from the really crappy bad guru. The really crappy bad guru doesn't know how to create that community. The really good bad guru, the one who's really talented and really manipulative, will be able to create that loyal following that buys their stuff. Have you seen the examples of the crappy from the bad where they've been exposed on Twitter? There's a, an account on Instagram called Baller Buster. I don't know if you're familiar with that. They devote their Instagram account to exposing gurus and frauds and fake businessmen, you know, guys who are showing pictures of Lamborghinis and, and private planes. And it turns out they're just posing next to a showroom car or things of this nature. And yeah, people get exposed all the time. What about you guys, Scott Wiz? Not recently, but I do remember back when I first started getting involved in Twitter, there were a few incidents where people got exposed, either plagiarizing someone else's tweets or plagiarizing someone else's work or people trying to get refunds and getting shut down, things like that. Yeah, I've heard recently that some of these influencers, they're not even really on the airplanes or anything anymore, that some of these more enterprising photographers and whatnot have just built sets that look like the inside of a private airplane. Yeah. Uh, and I did hear a story once that some like small airports that have private jets were having issues with people like climbing the fences and running and standing next to the jets and snapping the pictures and then trying to run off. <laughs> I don't know if that's true, but I can imagine that being true. One account that I always liked, I think it was called Influencers in the Wild or something, where they would catch the influencers basically yep, faking their... Yeah, <laughs> so that's, that's a good one. <laughs> I think on Twitter, it's 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 like you said, Scott, it's it's more the, the dudes that do the, the plagiarizing. And that's, you know, since it's, since it's all text-based, I mean, that's the very apparent more so than like other platforms. But the interesting thing is talking about, you know, building that that echo chamber that some of these some of these accounts have built even if they do that and even if people call them out they've you know narrowed down their following so much that their following doesn't care like even if somebody brings it up it's it doesn't even it's not even a blip on the radar for these accounts so it's almost like a cult that way yep i could see it from the person's perspective that if they've bought into this system this idea that this person can truly deliver them 
from wherever they are and they, they don't see any other way out. This person is, is it. You really do want to put those blinders on. You don't want to see any of the negative information because that would then, you know, to go back to the consistency principle, all of a sudden I have to start questioning my ability to make good, rational, sound decisions by engaging with this person. And is it easier to defend them? Maybe, maybe the person that's coming at them with this heat so to speak, is a liar. Maybe they have personal beef, right? Maybe they're a former associate. I start to play these games in my head and rather than look at the claim and say, wow, you know, it's obvious that they tweeted the exact same language after this original one came out. That's a bad sign, right? That's the, that's the start of it. I should pick up on those signs, but it's hard, right? You, you need to have the, the confidence to say, hey, hey, maybe maybe I made a bad decision by listening to this person. I'm, I'm going to step away. It's as simple as that, but it does require a little bit of that dissonance. You got to be able to, to step back. And you may feel a little embarrassed if you gave the person money for something. Even though it wasn't very good, you may still be inclined to step up and try to defend it in order to just create that illusion that you made a good decision, that you didn't just flush your money down the toilet. I think that's been demonstrated in real studies. I I can't think off the top of my head of the reference, but people who spend money on things are, I believe I read that they're more likely to rate them higher than if they got it for free because they're justifying in their head the fact that they spent money on it. So they create reasons why it was a good purchase. So right. something, something else to think about. Yeah. We've talked a lot about on this podcast, these sort of the survival basic instincts that we have and the, the value of having intuition and being right and making these, uh, you know, w- when we talked, we, we had a conversation where we talked about conspiracy theories and why you can get wrapped up in one because there is, if you end up being right, there's value in being ahead of the curve. In the stock market, if you have information that says, well, I'm going to invest in stuff. Everyone else tells me this is a bogus stock, but I'm able to invest in it and it sorts the moon after when everyone starts to price it correctly, all of a sudden I look like a genius. And so there's this desire to be right and there's desire to have this information. And so we understand we have these basic instincts, these survival instincts, which can lead us in these directions, we need to unlearn or, or learn new skills for being able to disassociate when they when they haven't served us, rather than continue to go down the course of defending a bad person or defending a bad purchase, even if it was 50 bucks. If that was all the money in your savings account, I, I don't know your situation, then all of a sudden, you go, oh my God, I can't believe I just made that mistake. Okay. It's a learning opportunity. You don't have to kick yourself or think you're an idiot. An idiot person or a really smart person can make idiot decisions and an idiot can make really great decisions sometimes. And it can happen to the best of us, right? Now, I'm not saying that which one of those I am. I'm not going to, I'll let you guys figure that out on your own, but <laughs> I'm just saying it can go either way. I think we've all made some questionable purchases in our life based off of unfounded promises. <laughs> Even if it was, you know, that awesome toy you saw on the Saturday morning cartoons, that commercial oh. of this great toy, then you get it home and, you know, and it does like a quarter of what the commercial made it look like. Thing is, is I don't really get down on these people for marketing. I'm not a complete free market guy. If they've got a product to sell and somebody gets some value out of it, great. But I do think people need to start taking personal responsibility, maybe vet some of these gurus a little better and take a step back and think, what is the likelihood that I'm going to get what I am promised out of this product? One question that I always ask, and I alluded to it earlier, is if this person has got this great 
investment strategy that he's willing to sell to me for $19. Why the heck is he not out making millions of dollars himself? Why is he on Twitter peddling this $19 product? Ask yourself questions like that. Paul, you alluded to the conspiracy theories. So you made me think of one. It's pattern recognition. One of the things about when you see false patterns is that it can make you believe that what you're being told is real or is true. You can start drawing associations between unrelated events. So then you start to convince yourself that, yeah, this guru's onto something. This product that they sold me is great. When the reality is, is you're, you're imagining that there's a connection there that doesn't really exist. I think where we, we've been touching on, on this entire conversation, but you guys want to talk a little bit about how to identify some false gurus? Uh, why not? <laughs> no one wants to start targeting these people. Robert, what about you? It sounds like you have some thoughts on how to identify these charlatans. Yeah, I have a few a few thoughts. I mean, these are somewhat disconnected. I don't have a specialized system. And this is just based on observation. I think some things you can watch out for is that when you have somebody who's not willing to tell you specifics about what they've done or what they do, that's a big red flag. I remember one of the first gurus that I read, I'm not going to name names. This was before Twitter and his book is still sells very well. And he's still a name that you would know. I'm not going to say, but one of the things I noticed in the book, and this is before I had any business savvy whatsoever, was that I couldn't quite make out what this guy actually did. Like he's telling me how to do business, but what business has he been in? What has he owned? What has he invested in? I couldn't find any evidence of that. It was like he was famous for telling you how to do business, but his business was telling you how to do business for which he's famous. And and there was, it was kind of this like closed circle of, you couldn't find out what he actually did. And I remember reading years later, a book by a genuine real estate investor, not a guru, but a guy just giving you nuts and bolts of how to invest in real estate. And he was saying, always watch out for what people are willing to tell you about what they own. Somebody who's genuinely giving you advice, for instance, on real estate or property development should have no problem telling you how many properties they've owned. He may even give you the addresses of those properties and say, here's what I paid for them, X, Y, and Z, so that you know their track record. You should have some indication of what somebody actually does, apart from selling you a course telling you how to do it. That's the biggest red flag. Yep, I'd agree with that. That's a flag that's on fire. Yeah, transparency is definitely a big one. Well, you know, there's a couple other points there that I wanted to, to bring out. One of them is the story, the dream, the vision. How that's presented matters, in my opinion. And it's a tough line to always crack. So what you talked about is the specifics. There's routinely this idea of a hero's journey. And it's things like, I was bad at real estate. I'd made all the wrong investments until I found out this one secret. And after I figured out this one secret... I went on to make $3 million in three hours. And it's the one secret that no one's talking about that if you learn it today from me, in a year's time, your life is going to change. And look at me and look at my success and look at all the homes I, I have. And so it's simplified the nuts and bolts of what you have to do. And it doesn't have to be real estate. It can be anything else. But how you present that, so you have the lack of details, which is a red flag. I think there's another side of it, which is, and we alluded to earlier, is the communication of what it is to actually achieve the the success that they're promising. When it's framed as what I just called the hero's journey, I, I think that's a simplification of it. But when it's framed in the, 
that light, I think because we have a bias towards storytelling and because the stories are so easy, it's it's a lot easier than, well, here's the 17 addresses that I purchased. Here's the ROI that I had on them. And if you actually map it out, I've got a spreadsheet. You got to learn how to read the spreadsheet. But once you learn that, you can already see how instead it's so much easier to hear a story. That story doesn't necessarily mean that's false, but it is something you should be aware of. You should take that into consideration. Are they really good at what they do? Are they really good at marketing what little success they've had. I'd put that out as, as kind of a flag that you need to be aware of. Wiz, what are some other things that you look for when you're trying to figure out if, if this person is trying to sell something of substance? Really, there were three things that I, I came up with when I was thinking about that. I, I guess one is, is that, is the guru teaching you to think for yourself? Or are they think are they teaching you to just follow exactly what they're saying? To me, that's a big one, you know, because it distinguishes whether or not they're looking out for their audience's best interests or not. The more they move away from teaching that particular thing, I think that's a pretty clear indicator. The other thing, I, I so I'm, I'm glad that Robert mentioned that, you know, as far as showing the nuts and bolts of what they did versus, and there was, a, and I can't think of the book right now, but it, it brought up an idiom that I, I've always kind of hung on to. It's big hat, no cattle philosophy, where showing off the real flashy stuff and it's, it's just like, what type of audience are they appealing to when they're doing that versus the real questions about life and the deeper things? And then I think the other thing is I subscribe to a few newsletters where they're, the authors are people that teach you how to create courses. And I mean, you look at their track record and literally all they've ever done is teach people how to create courses. They haven't done anything beyond that. And, and that can be taken to any field really. But those are to me the three things that really stand out in my mind. Yeah, I think those are... Excellent points. Scott, what do you have to add to that? Well, I think we've touched on most of them already. I would look for how good faith do they seem? Are they engaging with people? Does it seem like they're trying to talk to people and help them along? Or is it all just buy my product, buy my product? That's one thing I look for. The other thing is, does this product, is it something that's really going to fill a need? Or are they just trying to manufacture a world where people are going to want this thing or going to need this thing. And how upfront are they being about whether this is really a problem? And how upfront are they being about whether this thing is going to fix that problem for them? I'll go back to the example I gave earlier. The fitness guru says, you know, no woman's ever going to love you if you don't have 10% body fat. That's not a real problem. I know lots of people that don't have 10% body fat that have wives and girlfriends and partners. I would add something to this question in general that might seem a little obvious, but nobody has said it yet. Age. We all know examples of like the 20-year-old life coach, the people on Twitter who are trying to give advice and, and they can't be any more than 24, 25 years old. Maybe they're out of college, maybe not. They might have made a few thousand dollars in online sales or whatever. And here they are commanding their audience, talking about everything that they know, not just about sales, but drifting into things like life philosophy, and, you know, mindset and cognitive behavioral therapy and this, that and the other thing. And it's like, you know, nothing, you, you literally know nothing, you have not experienced anything. It's amazing how many of these are out there. Oddly enough, they, they tend to be the ones most likely to talk down to their audience. 
I don't know, maybe it has something to do with like the zeal of the convert or something, just somebody who's new to the sphere, who just feels like they've latched on to this secret knowledge and they have to tell everybody about it. They're the ones who are really likely to be insulting and to be arrogant. It's what I've noticed. I feel like that's a product of age for certainly the arrogance of youth, um, especially when you're figuring out what you find to be some truth that's very powerful to you that someone who's older would be like, yeah, I remember discovering that too. It was, it was great, but I, I don't need to be arrogant about it anymore, right? I was going to say, it's easy to look like a genius when everything is going well for you. So you you had one success selling a few thousand dollars in products online, and all of a sudden you feel like you know it all. It's what the person does when stuff's not going well. That really tells you what the person is like. That really gives you the window into the soul, I think. I had one more too. I, I think that, and there are accounts I've seen that do this, where they, they're very focused on one niche. And this maybe goes hand in glove with what Robert said too, but where they, on a dime, they spin where crypto is a big thing now, for instance, and they're all about crypto. Literally, that's all they talk about is crypto. Their whole account is built up upon a certain course. And then it's like, this has nothing to do with that course and that niche. It's like, well, how, how much of an expert are you then if you're doing that? I don't know. That is actually a really good telltale sign. And for anybody who's listening and thinking, well, that, that seems like a lot of information to go through. You can use the search bar on Twitter and and you can use keywords. You can look at the history. There's a couple of things you can do. So I think a good algorithm to think about, you, you've got a problem. Maybe it's your love relationship, maybe it's business, and you found someone who's telling you, hey, you know what? I know the secret to solve your love relationship, your business, blah, blah, blah. Before you spend $50 on a course, spend 50 minutes reading through their tweets. Really? I mean, you'll be amazed at how much information they've given you unknowingly, things that's unflattering. When the person responds, hey, I bought your course and it was garbage. And they say, yep, I gave you a refund. And here's the reasons why. You can see how they reacted to that. Maybe they got blocked. There's things you can do to defend yourself. There's a little bit, you know, we've talked a lot about the gurus selling stuff and the tactics that they use. But as the buyer, there is buyer beware in a, in a capitalist society. And there are things you can do to make sure that you're not the victim of just a total scam to the best that you can do. And I think one of those is all the, all the things that we talked about, just be kind of aware of red flags. But also use the internet to your advantage. Go seek out the additional information. It's In a lot of cases, it's there. It really is. I would just DM them, which gives you a lot of information. First of all, do they have DMs activated? If they don't and they're trying to sell you something, it's a big red flag. If you do and they're unhelpful or you know you DM them and they ignore you or you know they immediately want you to pay $50 to hop on a call, quote unquote, you know, then you know you're dealing with a money hustler. I don't want to toot my own horn, but if you DM me on Twitter, I'm not going to sell you anything. I'm just going to answer your question. You could tell. You know when you're dealing with. We all have antenna. Some of them are sharper than others. Well, you know when you're dealing with somebody, if you interact with them a little bit, if they're just trying to get you to take your wallet out. A while back, a particular account, they had in their profile, DMs are open, you know, I'll help you fix your problems. I'm not selling anything. And then this guy, he posted some messages where somebody had been trying to DM him and asking for help. So this account, he posted these messages making fun of the guy saying like, why do you think I'm going to help you for free? And things like that. It's like, well, it's right in your profile that your DMs are open and all that. Those are the types of folks that really look at their interactions with people and you'll see what kind of character they have. Yeah. 
And just the arrogance of that, of posting screenshots of, oh, look at this peon who wanted to talk to me, the sage. I don't have time for your question. You know, trying to play the role of the badass. Everybody's trying to be a badass. Everyone wants to be Alec Baldwin and Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, and give everyone the speech and put everyone in their place. That might appeal to some people, but anybody who has any experience at all knows that the cliche is true that you catch more more bees with honey or, or flies or whatever the hell it is <laughs> and with vinegar i don't even know what, but, but you, you catch my drip yeah and realize that if it's a real expert there's a couple of points that i'll, I'll put out there one they're going to find people that can pay them a lot of money a real expert is going to charge someone a lot of money and they're going to know who can pay and who can't if it's someone that just doesn't care about helping people then they're just going to tell you to go away if that person has an offering to actually want to help you uh, to the point we just made, they'll, they'll spend time talking to you. In fact, in a lot of cases, they'll, they'll size you up pretty quickly that you don't have the money. They're still going to want to help you because that's the reason that they've opened up the DM and they're actually helping people out. And that's another, I guess, characteristic of what you're looking at. You get what you pay for. You're not going to get in a $10 course the secrets to life. Now, I'm a firm believer that there's a lot of information out there that can infinitely improve your life and it's all available for free on the internet. But it's a lot of information. It's a, it's an ocean, right? There's a lot of stuff to go through. I, I love Stoic philosophy. I think it's great. I think it has a lot of good information in it. You got to go read Marcus Aurelius. I can't summarize it in a tweet and somehow you're going to be magnificently formed and now find a new way to go about life. If anything, you're going to have to read that book, start practicing the principles, realize that you hate some of the stuff, but you're still going to do it and have some kind of life-changing event. Exactly. You're not going to get the secret of life in 10 bucks, which is why <laughs> no. my secret of life book cost $11. There we <laughs> go. I'm sure you could buy a Bible for $10 or, or Marcus Aurelius. But uh, your point taken that the, the, the products that are produced today for $10 are not likely to lead you to higher realms of tranquility and transcendence. Not without a lot of investment. So, okay. So that gets to the last question of this discussion because it was put up. We, we had this offline. We said, there's good advice that morphs into parodies of itself. And I don't know who, who said that, Robert, it may have been you, but I, I thought that was a really interesting concept. So, and we've, we've talked about it. I don't know if it was in this conversation today or a different one, this, this, you know, this idea that we've got people that are just regurgitating platitudes, but then there's also value in platitudes. So I don't know, whoever said that, Hopefully someone can remember saying that. What was the thinking behind that? Yeah, that was me. That yeah, was I'm putting me. you on the spot, I'm, man. I'm slightly panicking here because I don't quite remember everything that led to that statement. But I think it was just a general observation of what I've seen, which is that, look, you can get value out of an account that's not all that valuable, ultimately. You can still get nuggets of, of things, even from bad people. I think one of the main points about this is that we're getting to the point now where a lot of these accounts and these personalities are just going overboard. It's becoming more and more and more obvious that they're going overboard because so many more people are entering the space. The number of clone accounts are growing every day and they're just all copying one another. When that happens, it becomes really obvious what's being copied because you're seeing it that much more often. So all of the wisdom that was unique maybe a year ago even, or even six months ago, it just sounds so so dated and so overplayed now. So I think that's what I meant, which is that when you repeat something often enough, even if it's good, you can kind of start writing it off, right? I mean, like how many times have you heard Bohemian Rhapsody on radio it's a great song, but only so many times I could listen to it. You know, that's that's what I. Mean. Paul, I think you alluded to it earlier, where it seems like it's just a big Ponzi scheme in a lot of ways. Ponzi scheme. It's the people on the top are supported by. 
the new people coming in on the bottom. So it seems like once an account gets to a certain size, has a certain number of followers, they can start peddling their ebook, their guru wisdom to all the new people who are coming into Twitter. And then those new people will eventually move up Then they'll write their ebook and peddle it to all the new people who are coming in <laughs> at that point. I don't see a lot of the gurus really depending on each other. It just seems like each one has their own little pyramid going on there. Well, Wiz, what about you? What What is some advice that maybe is good advice, but it's become a parody at this point? I think there's a lot of tweets recently that I've seen where, you know, I don't know, put your mind to it and you can accomplish anything kind of back to the future type stuff, you know, and, and you see that a lot. And to me, that's very much a parody. And I would say this, though, if it's written in such a way where you can tell that there's life experience back of it, or there's some nuance to it where it is unique, it is new, then to me, there's there's value in it. But if it's clearly something that someone just paraphrased from somebody else, I mean, that's, I don't know, I, I, I quit looking at my Twitter feed because I see that all the time. I think the uh, social media guru timeline can be broken up up into epics or ages based off of whatever's popular for that six-month period. Paul, remember when it was all about you have to hustle 25 hours a day, get up every day at 4 a.m. and work, 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 and never watch Netflix. You have to eat eggs. Yeah. Then it was eat eggs, cold showers. Yeah. It's almost like we can divide up the social media timeline based off of that. That's what I think is funny is that all these people, they'll jump onto this one message. And then Robert, like you said, there's going to be that one person who's going to step away and say, oh, and start making fun of those people. And so then you get all of those people trying to see, then you get that whole crowd that's going over to him and trying to glom on to to that. Well, now we're actually entering the kind of like Hegelian synthesis of all this, which is that the new guru is anti-guru. The new generation of guru is going to be people pointing out the foibles of the generation that came before them. In this case, the generation is a span of about three months. It's like every quarter, everyone everyone evolves to something else. Twitter's fruit fly evolution <laughs> speed. I mean, everything, you're right. Everything happens very, very quickly. We love the anti-heroes in our movies. So maybe on social media, the American social media thing is the anti-guru now. I will say that with the guru who's not the guru, I've seen it where... People say, oh, I want to hear everything you have to say. And that person will say, no, you don't. I don't want to speak about those things. When they acknowledge that they have a circle of competence, that no, I, I'm not, I, I'll share my opinion because you've asked for it, but I'm go talk to someone else about it. And w- when they get charged with the, the label of guru and they reject it, I find that refreshing. And it's been sometimes, and, and, and I kind of, I say that with Naval because I know Naval, I feel like he's the punching bag for, for guruism on, on Twitter. Granted, he's not selling a course and you know, there's different, different levels, but I hear a lot of people go after him with, with some of his thoughts and, and listening to a lot of interviews with him. I think he's, he says like, I'm sure my ideas, but go think for yourself. He and he, he follows the principle of strong opinions held loosely. He's he's willing to change that, but he's also saying you can't. I mean, he he's gone after the the great example I'll give is is sort of he's very he's very opinionated on how to meditate. He's, he said like basically you have to sit down there for two hours for sixty days straight, not do anything. And I'm like, who in the hell has the time for that? And then he's making fun of all the the gurus, the meditation gurus that are out there with an app that are basically saying buy my app and and I'm going to teach you how to how to meditate. By the way, I have an app and it has been very useful. I don't have the two-hour stamina of Naval. But he also said, listen, go do whatever you you do you, right? Those are usually pretty good signs. Like if someone comes in and says, you know, they, they want to start, I'm bugging you about your course and you're, you're, you're trying to, to tell them, oh, you're an idiot if you don't want to buy it. Be like, no, go. You don't want to, whatever I'm selling, 
absolutely. You're right. Go, go find out whatever's going to work for you. That's, that's usually a pretty good sign too. Wiz, I think you mentioned it. Give a man a fish, teach a man to fish dichotomy. If they're giving you the framework to build on, then that's going to have a lot more value than someone who's just going to tell you, you have to do steps one, two, and three, and you cannot deviate from those. But I'm, and I'm not going to tell you why. There was a uh, interesting talking about Naval. I, someone compiled some of his writings and tweets into a book. I think it's the almanac of Naval. In that, uh, one of the tweets that he mentioned, I think, or one of his writings, he talked about uh, a Twitter account. He's also an author, wrote a few books that I read recently, but uh, Sida, S-I-D-D-H-A, Performance, really enjoyed that. He had a few books. I, I can't remember the names of them right now, but highly recommend. It just occurred to me as we're, we're talking here. But Now, have you paid attention to Naval GPT-3? No. What's that now? Anybody else familiar with that? So GPT-3 is an artificial intelligence engine, and, and I'm not going to, that's the most I understand about the technology behind it, but it's it's very versatile in that you can give it a corpus or a whole series of texts by an author. It will create new streams of information based on what it read. So you spend some time, go on YouTube and say GPT-3 Metallica. And you can listen to a song written and played by GPT-3. Wow. The Naval is an account where it just spits out Naval tweets, Naval style tweets. They're all created by the algorithm and not by Naval. So it's possible that the gurus in the future are just going to be bots. Bots that bring together the collective wisdom of all these different gurus. That's right. And who knows, at some point they may just be selling to other bots that are trying to do (laughs) self-improvement. Right. The bots that, the the younger bots that need the material, the input for their algorithms, (laughs) they're just going to be buying it from the older bots. That's right. That's right. We can cut down and we don't need to wait three months anymore. We can just do it every 10 minutes and just refresh it with a whole new army of bots that are looking for better information. Oh, the power of Twitter. We're over an hour, but one thing I wanted to bring up is one of the reasons why we're seeing a proliferation of these gurus online is it's really easy to create a an information product and go out and sell it. The internet is great for disseminating information, but for proving anything, it's terrible. So keep that in mind that when you're out on Instagram or Facebook, Twitter, wherever, or even someone who you just run across their website, just remember, it's really easy to make claims and it's really hard for you to go out there and confirm that stuff. You have to do your diligence. If something sounds too good to be true, if they're selling their course that's normally $9,999 for $5, you're probably not getting a very good value. So just keep all of that in mind. I agree, Scott. Agreed. Gentlemen, anything else you want to share with our audience about fake gurus before we uh, wrap up today? I'll say one thing. Another one of my speculative kind of theories here. Scott, you mentioned why this space is proliferating so much, why there are so many new people entering this space. I wonder if it has something to do with the kind of general breakdown in our society of people looking for leadership and not really having it in everyday life and just feeling like they need to step into the breach and create something. This kind of pressure, especially on young men, because something we didn't mention, most of these, almost all these gurus are men. There has to be something to that. Why are there not women gurus really on Twitter anyway? I can't, I mean, maybe there's one. Just food for thought possibly for a future discussion. You're absolutely right. I think it's entitlement. A lot of it is that people, they want someone to fix their problems for them. So they will go online and look for that person rather than trying to figure out how to improve their lives on their own. They would rather just have that recipe where they could go through, check off the boxes, and then at the end, they're expecting something 
some miraculous change. And I think a lot of that, I think, is you're you're right. I, I think there's a dearth of leadership. I think education is terrible. It doesn't teach people how to think. We're in a culture where people, they just expect the solution to just be handed to them. The other thing, too, is we have this, I mean, we're obviously seeing a growth in victimhood. You know, victimhood is something that people are seeking out now. Point I'm trying to make is I think people are creating more problems or making their problems bigger than what they really are. I think a lot of that is all the negativity that we see online, the mainstream news, what we hear from politicians. So people create this reality for themselves where things are much worse than what they really are. And people aren't, they're not going outside and talking to their neighbors and look, taking a look around. They're instead listening to what they're seeing on the screen. And that's making them think that they need to go get these products. And I, I would just say, man. yeah, that is. I would just say, be cautious about ascribing too much authority to someone just because they have a strong sales message. One would hope that they truly are an expert in their area, you know, that they claim to be an expert in, but we all have problems. We all put our, our pants on one leg at a time. And the other thing I wanted to say is, you know, I've always been a fan of the Bruce Lee mentality where Jeet Kune Do, I mean, you have so many options in front of you and you take a look at, hey, here's something that works. I don't need to necessarily buy into the whole system. And maybe this information is free elsewhere, but maybe I can piece that together with something else that works and build my own system that's that'll work for me. And I think at the end of the day, we all need to be looking out for our own best interests and don't give that up too easily. Yeah, absolutely. That's a very good point. What was it that Lee said? Absorb what is useful, reject what is useless. Yeah. Yeah. The trick is knowing what's useful and what's useless. Yeah. Right. He knew. <laughs> yeah, he, knew. he always knew. I think that's a uh, great idea to end on. And uh, when we think about these gurus and what they're sharing, the idea that don't let the salesmanship get in the way of trying to find out good information, realize that you're actually trying to solve a problem. Know what you're trying to solve before you just blindly buy something, figure out what that is. There's a lot of free information available just on the internet. And then when you find out what you're actually struggling with, then you can probably zone in a little bit more on what you actually need to buy. And then from there, you can filter out people that are just trying to sell you the simplest of information, the vaporware, the useless garbage that isn't going to take you to where you want to go. There's plenty of it out there. Gentlemen, this was a great discussion. Hopefully for everyone listening, you now have a very good way of identifying the fake gurus on and off Twitter. They're all over the place and there's the good ones. So we're hoping we can help you identify them as well. Robert, where can everyone find you? At Words and Minds, W-O-R-D-S. A-N-D-M-I-N-D-S on Twitter. Awesome. And Wiz? So I am on uh, Twitter, Wizstrat, W-I-Z-S-T-R-A-T, and also uh, wisdomandstrategy.com. Well, thanks, guys. I really enjoyed today's conversation. I look forward to bringing you back. We can have more deep conversations about the destruction of society because I feel like that's where we're going before we wrapped up with the really good Bruce Lee quote. So <laughs> next time we'll come back for the slightly heavier discussion than, than fake gurus. Does that sound good? Excellent. Sounds great. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks guys. And for everyone out there, take care, be safe, and we'll talk to you real soon. Thank you. Well, that will do it for this episode of Mentally Unscripted. But hey, you're one step closer to kicking all this tribal garbage peddled by the politicians and the media to the side, seeing the world for what it really is with intelligence and rationality. Take care. To get a copy of today's show notes and links to the resources mentioned in today's episode, go to mentallyunscripted.com. And while you're there, don't forget to sign up for the Mentally Unscripted newsletter so you'll be the first to know about the new episodes and get bonus material not available anywhere else. That's mentallyunscripted.com.